piercing your firewall and filling your ports with technology goodness. It's the 1352 Report. We just have to be quiet for a second. Okay, shh. Okay, everybody be quiet. No, he's okay, now, I'm recording this because I want everyone to hear the crap I go through every time we try to do a 1352 See, Bruce, report. We know you won't use that now because you said the word crap. Guess what? It's being used. So on the podcast today, we <laughs> have Alan Lepofsky. Alan, welcome. Well, hey, everybody. Tom Duff. Yo. Chris Miller. Uh, hello. Carl Tyler. Is this thing on? And Jess Stratton. Hello. So we all just got back from Lotusphere. Alan posted a blog entry about what the, the, his biggest takeaway from Lotusphere was. So, Alan, let's start with you. We're digging right into Lotusphere. Tell us about Lotusphere and what you took away as being the, the message. Wow, it's like diving right in deep. Don't get to chat or anything. Uh, let's see. So, as everybody knows, it's, uh, it was one of, well, last year was my first Lotusphere as a non Lotai, but. Last year, I sort of knew everything that was going on because I had just kind of left. So this was my first year with a year off, and I sat there in the blogger's pit, comfy, comfy on the couch, and just listened to the keynote. And rather than get into product announcements, what I blogged about, what I thought the most important thing was is the talk about the future stuff, the Vulcan stuff, which was exciting because that was part of what like the strategy team I used to work on does. And rather than talk about the features, the most impressive thing I heard Lotus talk about was that the APIs for it are going to be completely open and completely available on day one. So, I, you know, we can all say that with a bit of cynicism. We'll see what happens. But uh, I think that's a really important move because that will let people build out the ecosystem for it. I thought you made it, some very good points there, Alan. That was a very good blog entry. Thank you. It was actually, uh, it was kind of cool. It had like, I don't know, something ridiculous, like four or 500 views. So, uh, it was, your, no, your mother must have been very quiet that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just had I had my mom hitting refresh on Planet Lotus every couple seconds, <laughs> and sending it to her friends with all the jokes senior citizens send around, right? Well, there's a lot of seventy year old Jewish API programmers out there. <laughs> so, so Chris, uh, what did you take away? Uh, that they wouldn't give us all the slides. I'm kidding. Uh, I got my hands on them. No, I took away the fact that they were making some major steps forward in what we've all hoped for in terms of realigning the client and its capabilities and flexibilities. They didn't really harp on it enough, but I bet you next year, this is the off year, right? Every other year is the off year. And this was the off year that they came in and said, eh, here's some stuff, but here's what we're doing in the future. They'll probably talk about it next year. I think the client is going to take a major shift in the like 2011 range. Well, what do you mean? Tell us about what you're thinking. Well, think about it. It's all built around the core C++, the Eclipse framework or C plus, whatever it is. The Eclipse frameworks is a picture frame. It Did really you just isn't. Love it when devs or when admins try to talk development, it's not development. Thanks, Listen, they stay naked. So the, the whole point <laughs> of the matter is, is the that it's just still written frame. in Pascal. It is. It's in COBOL, and it's a picture frame. And all they're doing is manipulating the frame around it. It's a whole reinvention of the way the client works. Meaning the whole drive behind it will be totally different. The the workspaces we know it could be different. The way you interact, the plugins, the architecture rip and replace and make it you know more flexible and more fluid so, so it's, it's so, a browser inside the notes client not even a browser it's still be a, it could still be a local client it could be browser based but i think the whole way you interact with it will be more streamlined right now the picture frame eclipse framework that sits around it isn't cohesive yet okay that's fair miss stratton well actually did not get to attend any of the um, other <laughs> keynotes, so I was kind of hoping to hear about Project Vulcan from you guys. I was actually, my big thing from Lotus Notes, I really enjoyed the fact that they were, seemed to be really committed to their advertising campaign. I loved seeing Lotus Notes still plastered all over everything. It just proves that, okay, it wasn't a fad. They were serious about it. They're still going with it. Um, I like the fact that they brought in a lot of clients and customers. Um, for the opening general session, so it seems to be something that they're, you know, they're trying to tell us there's a lot of customers, there's a lot of clients, and we are listening to them. Um, and then after that, I was having a lot of fun with all the nerd girl sessions. That's where I was. Mm. So I actually got to attend a lot of sessions this Lotusphere. What a, What um, about Zoe? What did she think about uh, Lotusphere? Cheerios. She <laughs> She had a blast in the rotunda. That was just her whole world. <laughs> 
and she still talks about the podcast that she did with you, Bruce. Oh, she's well, very, she's very, very proud of it. Maybe we'll put that one out one day, but I need to get uh, parental clearance first. So uh, before we move on to Tom, Carl, what about you, Mr. Cynical? My biggest takeaway was probably that uh, cookie with the pretzels again on the Thursday lunchtime. Uh, I got three of those. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my biggest takeaway, let's see. Well, I actually didn't go to many sessions, which actually tends to be how it always happens at Lotusphere. I was meeting with a lot of customers and things. I, I felt, I'm not being cynical, <laughs> I just felt the opening general session was kind of flat and kind of boring. Um, I came out of there and I'm like, well, what's the big thing? And I mean, okay, Project Vulcan seems to have got a bit more said about it since the opening general session. But definitely I felt it was just kind of uh, flat. And, 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 you know, everybody knows I get irritated with the demos. I mean, it was a good hour before we even saw any kind of demo. And I was asleep at that point. And um, I just felt, again, the demo missed the thing of explaining why features exist. Like, you know, straight away they screwed up with the, oh, you know, they switched to Ron. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to switch from my telephone headset to this headset. And he didn't tell you why. why. Why would you do that? You know, and it was like, just jump straight in. Whereas, obviously, what he should have said was, I'm going to switch from my mobile to my desktop phone because then I'm going to save my cellular minutes for other calls. But Oh, so my I, God. I a presenter by, made a mistake. I got irritated by the demos again. Okay. Tom, I, I Tom, what about you? you yeah, it's been interesting to listen to what everybody else took away from it. Um, I think from an application development standpoint, I was encouraged, mainly coming out of probably the mini keynote for the application development side, talking about how they're trying to bring in a lot of the uh, development skills for groups that normally wouldn't be considered notes programmers. So you're going to have your you know, HTML5, your CSS3, you know, some of these things starting to play front and center rather than just the same old Lotus script formula you know, nobody unless your Lotus developer actually knows what that is and how it works. Uh, so I like the fact that they were looking at opening up to different groups, either within Lotus, because they had talked about also bringing in, you know, portal developers, uh, different things like that into the actual Lotus framework, but that you could mix and match a lot of these skills around, hopefully, to develop what they deemed hybrid applications, you know, some of which may be running on-premise, some of which might be cloud. Uh, once again, nothing concrete, uh, much as has been brought out earlier in this discussion, but a lot of things looking at, here's where things might be going, here's where we want to take things. And yes, this was an off year, but hopefully this actually brings it forward to look at what we're going to have in 2011, and that's probably where you'll see a lot of product hard. You know, hard announcements of things that you can actually touch and feel. Tom, are you reading from the teleprompter? No, I'm actually not reading from the teleprompter, but I'd probably do a better job than some of the others would. Now, I, Alan, I got a question. You, you're a former OGS keynote guy, right? Uh, I was waiting for this. Uh, yes, I am. Did you read from the teleprompter, or did, did you speak like Alan normally speaks, you know, from the heart, from your soul? Well, I can only speak for what I did back in the past, but mine, I had pretty much completely memorized my entire piece and, you know, did not read from a teleprompter. It was important for me to rehearse it, but then again, I was given, you know, lots of leadway time. Back when I used to do the keynotes, we were sort of taken off our assignments and we spent a good, you know, four to six weeks sort of treating the entire show like a play. We, you know rehearsed everything we had speaker coaches we mapped everything out on stage and um yeah it was in my opinion a little bit more polished and rehearsed back then yeah the now, tv the tv show glee just appeared in my brain when you said rehearsed <laughs> like a play sorry <laughs> none of us can sing pants well, I, on I the ground makes, i was gonna say i think what makes the teleprompter even worse in terms of you know the person going and this is really what our next thing is going to be but the fact that when they've got a camera focused in on this guy's face and you see that he's either looking down or he's looking up, to me that says, I'm reading a teleprompter. I'm not buying any of this information. I've just been given the script to read. Yeah, kind of like stuff in your backpack, right, that you smoke, right? Which I apparently didn't get the right backpack. You know, it must have been a, you know, 
speaker thing. I, who knows? Yeah, the, the biggest issue with teleprompters when they aren't used, you know, well, is things don't come across as sincere. Right. And the, you know, it becomes across as false enthusiasm. You know, the fact that somebody reads, that's cool, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it, you kind of sit there and go, is it? You know, just because just well, you're being told it's cool doesn't mean it's cool. So honestly, <laughs> like on the teleprompters, like when we used to script things out, you would actually have, you know, bracket, pause for applause. Oh, gosh. You know, so <laughs> it's kind of scripted out which parts you know are going to hit and which ones aren't. And it doesn't always go as scripted. So it's, it's difficult when you're up there. There were certain Lotus presenters in the past, of which we will not mention her name, that, you know, I swear on the teleprompter they had stop, <laughs> fold hands, turn to left, start speaking again, move hands out. <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I remember her. <laughs> scary, scary. All right, Chris Miller. Yes. Well, what else was different about Lotusphere for you this year, good or bad? Oh, you suckered us all in, didn't you? First it was Alan with the keynote, now Wait, it's me with no, my blog. Wait, no, first of all, I don't see you producing the show. I know, you still suckered me. You're a slacker. So, okay. You're only on episode 72 of, of I Do Notes. Come on. Hi, this it's is- just higher quality content. So it's <laughs> really, ooh, it's really, you, uh, you don't want to start with me today. No, I pointed out the fact that obviously there were some cutbacks this year and I got a little bit of heat about it later on. I ruffled some feathers, but there were some obvious cutbacks. People complained of simple stuff, no hot breakfasts, uh, no, uh, you know, no lunch bags to take home from a sponsor, uh, a reduced floor size, which may or may not be true because I didn't count the number of vendors, but just, you know, small things that were noticeable for those that were there many years. If you were new, it was pretty much, you know, a mind blowing experience for a first year person. But for those that were, uh, you know, what, four or five years or more, then it would be a big problem for you to see some of the changes that they made and some of the drawbacks. There was a couple other areas that they kind of pulled back what they normally did. I, was there like some of the food at the uh, opening night reception on Monday night, the vendor floor? Weren't they missing some of the food that night like they used to have? There, there wasn't the lamb chop. Oh, with the, oh, the horseradish <laughs> sauce, the lamb no, chop. No butter. Not, that I, no not butter. that I remember food or anything like that, but there's no <laughs> lamb chop. Right. That was one of the things. So, and breakfast. Breakfast was definitely there was no ever. Well, there was never a hot breakfast, right? Well, even at the ham and jammers. Yeah, the ham and jammers. There was no ham. No jam. (laughs) No jam either. As Chris said, I I I spoke to a few people that this was actually their first Lotusphere, and um, they didn't notice at all. They thought it was great. I mean, as you know, for the people that are jaded and have been a few years, then you kind of like. Hey, where's the tent? What happens if it rains? You know, and um, but but these new people they just didn't even notice. So I don't think it was a big deal. Jess, what about nerd uh, nerd girls? What what's that about? What was it that was about? Great nerd. There was there was three parts to it. Um, the first one before there was a panel, there was a meeting at the Yacht and Beach Club for networking and a small presentation. It was run by um, Sandy Carter um, from IBM, and I believe she is. I'm trying to remember her title. Um, Sandy's a VP find a, of something channel, something, yeah. VP of software <laughs> channels, I think. Um, yeah. But she ran it, and it was just wonderful to network with all these women in IBM. And they gave um, a small presentation about how we can get mentors for each other and things like that. That was a huge key part of the Nerd Girls campaign this year. We were talking a lot about mentoring and things like using LinkedIn groups and Skype chats and things like that. Um, and there was the Nerd Girls panel in which we had um, on the panel, I'm going to try to remember this, Kristen Loria, um, VP of Marketing for Lotus, Eileen Fitzgerald, Gabriella Davis, um, Mary Beth Raven, Marie Scott, and I think there were a couple more, and I can't remember who they were. Was Christine um, Keene on it? Not this oh, year. Oh, she was wonderful. And, and, uh, oh, Christine Keene, no. Okay. No. But we were talking about, again, it was all about mentoring, and a lot of questions were asked about that. Um, it came up, and then there was another birds of a feather, which the attendance was a little bit low the Thursday morning, 7 o'clock in the morning. But um, it was great, and everybody um, handed in who was there, handed in their um, contact information at Gabriella Davis who set up a Skype chat for everybody. So if you are listening and um, you want to be in on that, please just um, send an email to me, jess.42 at gmail.com, and, and we'll get you hooked up. We're just kind of chit-chatting about mentoring and, and where to get I, a mentor. 
I keep asking Gab to let me in there, and she refuses. (laughs) (laughs) The key takeaway um, about mentoring is, one, your mentor obviously can be a man or a woman. It should be somebody who is not a friend to you, right? If you're finding a mentor, you need somebody who can be honest with you, um, that's not going to hurt you personally, who you can talk with, um, things like that. So just find somebody who's going to help you be a better person. If there's somebody who um, in their position in life you admire, if um, somebody who you strive to achieve um, to where they are in life, their successes and happinesses and what they're doing, that's a person that you need for your mentor. I want Zoe. Key takeaways. I would love to have to be my mentor. She's she's teaching me everything. So, (laughs) so Jess, um, uh, did you hear about that, that short guy session? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm just kidding. The, the little side chat going on in Skype here is talking about, I think who, who instigated it? Let's see. Uh, I don't know. Alan did. Alan did. Hey, hey, no blame. Alan wanted the short guy panel. I think he was a short person. Yeah, it's, it's Carl called it the Napoleon panel. I'm sorry for interrupting the nerd girl, girls thing uh, there, Jess. Oh no, that's okay. Now, now I'm catching up and reading. So, <laughs> so let me get this right. I, I, I can't. I can't join the short guy p- chat room, and I can't join the women's chat room. It's like you know what's going on. What chat room do you want from Carl? everything? You get a pilot's <laughs> chat room. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you know how boring they are? <laughs> All right, you know, we're gonna, I, I got two things to talk about, guys and girls. The first is Nathan blogged about an app store, and I, want, I wanted to have Nathan on a Taking Notes podcast to talk about an app store and Project Vulcan. So I'm going to go round robin here. I'm going to start with uh, Alan and talk about what your feelings are on a Lotus-based app store, you know, for, for <laughs> so, people. I'm not done yet. Oh, go ahead, Bruce. I'm go ahead, sorry, Alan. sir. Go ahead, Alan. No, no, finish. No, you go ahead. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's see. My thoughts on a Lotus-based app store. So I should try to dig this up in one of my, my email archives, but long before there was even an Apple iStore, we actually had an internal thought or conversation around when the utility server first came out. Everybody remember back then with all those licensing models? Out. That with the utility server, there should be a catalog of business partner applications that you buy the utility server and you get to choose like you know one application for $99 or two applications for $149 or three applications for you know $199 or something. I forget what we had, but we had this this whole idea that the strength of getting the utility server would be to run applications on it. And of course there was lots of logistical problems around that. You know, how do we different partners would want different money for their applications and so on and so forth. So short version is I think an app store is a great idea. Uh I think we actually came up with it eons and eons ago and it never happened. And uh kudos to Apple for making it be like the world standard now that everybody has to have one. And I hope uh you know there's a Lotus one and a social text one as well. Okay. Uh, Mr. Miller. Um, I must plead the fifth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I okay. can't. I, there's some stuff going on in the back end. Yes, there'll be an app store. Yes, there's a merger of some stuff going on. Yes, it will be out there. And uh, as some recent announcements have come out, some things are being merged together due to um, overlap. You mean like App Lotus? I mean App Lotus? It's actually called App Lot, but yeah. App Lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so. Chris, not to not to break any NDAs or announcements, but yeah. I mean, do you envision like something like Here, Idea Jam to be to be sold on something like this and deployed, or is it is there a marketplace? Is it something like the iTunes Store where it's device you know device to store or or client to store? Here's the dilemma. I'll make it real easy for you. Currently, in order to buy one, if you're looking for a plugin or something on your local machine as a user. The problem is that most of your security should be set that you can't do it. So users are pretty much exempt most of the time. Something for your device is possible, depending on your company's you know, profile. If it's an iPhone, it depends on what your company supports for that. If it's an enterprise purchasing, yes, you should be able to buy any application that's a database-driven type application to purchase. Unfortunately, um, most of the vendors, people like IdeaJam, most of the vendors don't have the facility in place to serve via an application store because you're not writing for an app store, you're writing for direct sales themselves. So any of the products that are out there across the board don't write 
to be placed into a catalog that's point and click, download and go. It's more, I'm writing it for myself. I have different sales. I go by seat count. I have server keys. I have all this stuff that goes on that doesn't stand true with an app store for a device model like the uh, iPhone app store. Yeah, so your point? Um, it can happen, but there's going to have to be a shift in the way the third-party vendors and all those people sitting on the vendor floor deal with distributing their products because most of them have all these weird key structures and they don't have any referrals or uh, ability to resell through anybody else unless you're reselling these bundle of licenses and these magic numbers and seat counts and stuff. It's so, got to be a total shift. So you think that just by placing them in some non-IBM store – Right, some place that people are gonna like spend. No, I'm not saying just because it's there. I'm saying it gives you more flexibility to find all. It's hard to compare, contrast, see ratings. There's no place that does that currently. Yeah, I no, can't I, compare. I, I agree anything. with that. But I, now, the, what if? Go ahead, Jess. What ahead, if Jess. it was some sort of, um, you know, the client security for the Lotus Notes client came from, you know, was able to include the Lotus App Store. You're you're getting there. Well, then then again, that that that, because client like the way that it's that it's revolutionized is amazing. It could revolutionize the local client for apps in which the actual customers pay, you know, two dollars here, six dollars there for a useful app that they can run on their local machine. Yeah, I I agree. The infrastructure and the fact that your credit card is on file with Apple makes the the buying process easy, right? Right. There's right. the approval process in a company too, right? That that that's right. But I'm just trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. But and Duffer, you have an angle on this, right? <laughs> I, I don't know that it's so much an angle as to whether an app store will work. I could see it in some ways working. I can also see it being a thing where maybe you're producing a widget or you're producing um you know some sort of a, a code snippet. So maybe it's more of a developer app store to where you can go buy things that will make your development process easier. But one of the things that I sit back and look at this and think, gee, this is kind of amusing is for the longest time we have always whipped on IBM for you need to do advertising. You need to do advertising. You don't do advertising. And now that they've gone with the Lotus nose campaign, there's not a whole lot that we can continue to whip on there in terms of, oh, gee, they're not listening to us. They actually have listened to you. It well, seems like the whole argument now has gone to, you need to do an app store. You need to do an app store. Uh, you, you have to remember you're in the U.S., US though. Uh, true, true. I, so I if, understand. If you're somebody you're in Norway or somebody in Germany or somebody in South Africa, exactly. your, your opinion could be very, very different. I, I mean, I think the app early. store is important to these people too because, you know, if you can get people hooked on Notes apps, it becomes much harder for them to switch. Mm-hmm. If they're just using yeah. notes for email, then it's a commodity. Then yeah. it's you know it's not easy to switch, but it's not that difficult to well, switch. Well, let me let me say something from my Salesforce experience, right? And I've said this before on my blog that Salesforce has the App Exchange. Okay, it's a web-based system, right? Salesforce.com. Users can go in there. There's something called App Exchange. Every single Salesforce user has access to it. Has anyone ever approached me? Right? I, I support three or four hundred people. Has anyone ever come to me and said, I want to buy this app to put into our environment? Never. And well, actually, I've, I've had it a few times for the uh, e-productivity. Okay, that's... I actually had somebody approach me saying, we want to use this mail template, what would it take? And I had to tell them, no, you can't do it. So how would the App Store change that, Chris? What, that you can't get the template or you can't apply it that way? They would have to come up with a structure that allows you to purchase it ad hoc for an individual user. Versus this, you know, I've got to know, well, someone like eProductivity does sell at the small end of the scale, but other ones don't support anything below, oh, it's up to a thousand users or it's based on the number of servers you install it on. You're right. looking at individuals. So the enterprise versus an individual purchase are two totally separate problems. Mm-hmm. The individuals can't install half the crap and right. you can't update your template. But, I, the, but I've heard the, the discussions of scale. So I'm trying to figure yeah. out, you know, where those million users are. Are there going to be a million users out of the 140 million users who are on maintenance? Right? Are they going to want to buy? Remember, I think Nathan talked about scale, right? Or right. 500,000. So what I'm trying to figure out is, I mean, are vendors expected to sell their apps for five or ten dollars or a dollar? I don't think pricing is the issue. It's how it's distributed. Okay, which is still to me 
one of the one of the problems. So I'm going to get Nathan on a taking notes podcast because I I think it's a great idea. But from from the standpoint of Apple, right? They control the hardware. They control the App Store, right? Two very highly sophisticated pieces of of technology, right? But consumer devices. Ask Carl. He's he sells widgets, right? I mean, not widgets, but bots and plugins and changes. He sells that stuff. So, Carl, what would you see? Well, I don't sell them, but I mean, the biggest issue with an app store for notes is security. The, the problem is if you install a plugin or you install any trusted notes application, you can do all sorts of damage. So right now, if you install a same-time plugin from a third party, I can go get your same-time password. If you install a notes app that you then sign because you know it's going to do stuff, on your machine, maybe it gets local file access, maybe you give it rights to send emails, whatever. You know, you open yourself up to to sending lots of stuff out. I mean, I think one thing Lotus has to do, first of all, is be able to take credit cards on Lotus Live. Once they figure out how to take credit card orders, then they can probably think about an app store. But I mean, the, the biggest issue I see is trust with uh, plugins and things, is it's like, do I trust this company? What is my relationship with this company? I've never seen this company before. It could be the Greatest app ever. Like, you know, the few clicks thing that was given out at Lotusphere. I don't know <laughs> yeah. who that company was. Do I trust their code? How do I know there isn't stuff in there that's going to do bad things? Chris Miller you know, did I a mean, podcast it's, it's, it's with true. them. I, trust I mean, them. The things, it's true for any Windows XE as well or any other executable file. Right. But, um, you know, on the iPhone, for example, though, it's a little more restricted in that you're only running the one app at a time and you can't get things like your calendar access. How come there's no app store for Apple apps? Or Windows apps. Because well, you're, not, you're not buying for the Apple. You're buying for a device. Downloads.com. Yeah, downloads.com. So, Chris, we're getting you on the podcast with Nathan because I think you guys have a lot of good ideas. Uh, anyone else want to chime in on the App Store before I move to the Alan. iPad? Alan does. Alan, go ahead. Mr. Social Text. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. What do I... Oh, okay. Probably my question to Chris when he was talking was about uh, upgrades. So how would yeah. installed plugins, sidebar apps, new live text recognizers, etc., how would those all survive client-level upgrades? No, you're right. Carl brought it up, actually. Carl distributes some of his free ones with an update site or an NSF that includes an update site, the enterprise would have to meld it into the environment because I don't allow local clients to upgrade their own stuff. So you won't be getting the upgrades. You won't see the updates to the sidebar apps. You won't see anything unless me as an enterprise administrator lets you. So, yeah, and like, you know, yeah. people say things like, well, don't end users install Firefox extensions. Well, it turns out a lot of them can't. No. If you have right. a lockdown desktop, which a lot of people have in enterprises, they can do very little. Yeah, and that the Firefox extension analogy, you know, each time I go to upgrade, inevitably there are problems. So One Firefox bike, yeah. does some cool things like, you know, there's a extension checker before you upgrade, but still, when I went to 3.6, what was it a week or two ago, you know, probably maybe 10, 20% of my extensions didn't work and I had to go off and find developer sites that had prototype beta versions of those extensions, etc. Yeah. I don't and, think and, your and, average client in Corporate America is going to be doing that with their notes client. And, and even there, for example, you know, as, as Chris said, we have these free same-time plugins that we, we have out there. And every time a point release of same-time comes out, typically we have to go touch them to make them work with a new version. Yeah. You know, so the notes folks for a notes database may be very focused on backwards compatibility, but the people that do the Eclipse stuff, they don't understand what backwards compatibility is yet. Yeah, all, all, all good points. And Chris, you're a smart guy. I, like I said, Nathan's a very smart guy, and <laughs> and, and you guys and Chris Tui, you'll bring us the uh, you'll bring us an app store, you know, and and we'll support you in every way we can, right? Are you gonna? Yeah, I wonder if that company that makes all that cool stuff, like you know, Idea Jam and all that stuff, they'll they'll participate. You know, you um, know? I, I'm not gonna say yes or no, but I'd like to see the experience. Hasn't hasn't that company jumped the shark? <laughs> <laughs> Do they have a version of stuff anyway? Wait, where's yeah. Jess? Wait, Jess hasn't said a word. As, yes. a, as a consultant, I, I want to know. No, I want to know as a consultant, would you allow the companies you go to recommend them to allow their users to do their own updates and installs? The users. Uh, well, the, like the flashlight the app. I think this is I think it's a great opportunity for Lotus, you know, to just change the client completely and 
and the way that updates work. I mean, the way that updates work now, what users expect, the way things work at home is they can go to help, check for updates, right? They're just used to that. And then it says, hey, an update's available. Do you want to update it? They say yes, and it updates for them and, and reopens and, and all is good. Um, Lotus, the client kind of worked like that, right? You can do that with smart upgrades, things like that. As far as an app catalog goes, I think even the replication mechanism itself could make that easy, you know, to, to pull updates down. But absolutely, things would have to change. There's no way that an app catalog can exist with users doing things by themselves without something in the Lotus Notes client to help it make it happen. So two things have to happen. One, there has to be an app catalog for people to find their apps, be able to download them. I'm not even going to talk about people developing apps because I think it's one of those, if you build it, they will come. The apps will get up there. But I think Lotus also has to change the Notes client to accommodate for it. And I don't think it's ever going to be possible unless there are some changes in the Notes client to accommodate it. So in the chat, right, Alan raises a question. I'm going to, I'm going to pick it out here. I'm going to try to turn my head without getting away from the microphone. Alan, actually, you, you, you say it. Which question? My last one? Your last two. In the, First in the chat. Yeah. So everybody I've heard talking about the App Store for, for notes have been, you know, you guys, my friends in the business partner forums, et cetera, and it's all been about, you know, what we think would be good for pushing down applications to the notes client. My question is, have, has anybody gotten feedback from users in these companies asking for notes extensions or apps? Has anyone ever said, I wish, or do we have, does anyone have proof that people have said, I wish I could get this for my notes client or something? Or, or is this a problem people are trying to solve that doesn't really exist? Yeah, but I've never, um, I am going to interject here with every phone I've ever had, like every smartphone that's app capable. I've always thought that the built-in apps did everything I needed until I looked at that app store and just went, oh my God, this is great. I need that. I need that. I didn't know I needed that until I saw that it was there for me to download. Where you know? did you first learn that you could add things that weren't part of what was originally installed on that device? I'm not arguing with you. My version of Firefox differs completely from the person sitting to the, my left and right. Yeah. But my question is, you know, maybe... You know, notes people don't know that you can do more with notes than, than what they have. So the problem's not the app store. The problem's the awareness that you can actually have notes apps. Well, I'm writing well, the flashlight I, app, so I got first dibs on it because it's almost done. I Car. do know that people, um, a lot of end users can't differentiate production apps, production databases versus what comes with notes. You know, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, they brought they bought a book on Lotus and was disappointed because it didn't have the instructions for this one particular, you know, homegrown production production database that they were using, and she just assumed that that came with notes and that's how it was. Yeah, yeah, that so, it's, it's it's like that paste information application from my blog has been downloaded I don't know a quadrillion times, and I still get probably five emails a week from people that have upgraded to a new version of Notes and say, how do I reinstall that? You know, they, they think, like you said, they think it's part of Notes. And they're wanting to, you know, they say, I can't live without that, you know, ability to paste information. And I upgraded it and it's gone. And I said, well, just open pasteinfo.nsf. It's still there on your hard drive. And they're all like, oh, okay, we thought it was like part of the Notes client. There's an Alan for that. The concept of... The homegrown applications. Yeah. Our, the, uh, the moment I can go to Costco and have a coupon to buy Notes apps, it will be a success. <laughs> <laughs> and a hot dog, right? Exactly. Oh, no, one of those nice ice cream things for $1.50. Yeah. yeah. So, so but you have to buy like six new months topic. worth new of <laughs> I'll take a Notes 12 pack and a Domino server. Uh, the iPad. The iPad. <laughs> We're going to talk about the iPad. I'm going to start with Tom Duff. Tom, you're not an Apple uh, uh, Apple geek like us some of us no i'm i'm windows 7 and but windows wait 7 but wait but you're an iphone guy you're an iphone <laughs> I am lover. an iphone guy yes i am and i do have a mac in the house so what ian is a mac head all right so what, what'd you think of the ipad um interesting concept mm. i think for a first gen type device given that tablets have failed miserably on every other attempt to get them mainstream they never took off quite like netbooks have 
Um, I think probably version two, version three, much as, you know, the iPhone first gen was really cool, but then it's like, well, it doesn't do this, doesn't do this. Eventually you got to the point where, oh, you had the, you know, 3G network and you had all this memory and it could run this and run that. I think they'll get there. Um, I think they'll listen to feedback. I think that they'll, you know, pace their sales cycle to where they can get people to buy the stuff initially and then turn around and buy more later and, you know, they'll they'll get their money out of it. But I, I, I think it'll be more, it'll have more of an impact than the, um, than the air did. You know, the air just didn't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, they took it out of the envelope and they might as well just have left it in the envelope. Wasn't that the foundation server they took out of the envelope? <laughs> uh, for notes, it was. <laughs> All right, uh, Flyboy Tyler. Uh, well, obviously, I love my iPhone, not. But um, I actually think uh, this could be a great device for pilots who want to have their sectional maps with them and things like that when they're flying. Um, otherwise, I really wasn't that impressed by it. I, I didn't feel like any feature was like, oh, I haven't seen that before. It was all um, pretty much just, yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, I, I had a Nokia, well, I still have a Nokia N800, which is like a much smaller tablet. But, you know, I used it for browsing the web and I'd use it to control the stereo, things like that. But I, I think the biggest issue with the iPad is the fact that it's single tasking. And that infuriates me on the iPhone. And the only thing I'd think is if I had a bigger device, I'd want to be able to look at my web page and look at my email on the same thing at the same time. And you can't do it with that device. So, Carl, you said sexual maps. And if I had a bigger thing, is that what you said? Sectional oh. with a T. <laughs> All right. Um, if you, if you know, Gail said you might need a sexual map, so yeah, maybe yeah. that's what you need. So, so uh, Jess, iPad. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think I have a use for it at this time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. So you're gonna get one? Oh yeah, I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just don't see it. I mean, yes, if it, you know, put it in your. I like it that it's small and you could you know, fit it in a backpack if you had to, but otherwise I don't see anything that it can't, that my phone can already do better. Okay. What about Alan? Uh, well, let's see. I have all, all the things that everyone has said on millions of websites about what the first generation has, what the second generation will have, et cetera, blah, 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 to me is irrelevant. I'm just, as a marketing person, insanely jealous of it doesn't matter what it does. You, you were pretty much guaranteed they will be sold out on day one. And that's mm. just an incredible envious position to be in. And two years from now, we'll all have the, an old one sitting underneath our desk wondering what we do with that one because we've got the new one. And, you know, it's like, I have, I think three iPod nanos and I'm not even a jogger. It's like, you know, where do these things come from? So I'm just, you know, <laughs> envious that they're in a position that they can, uh, they can do this and everybody pays attention to it. Mm. What did they say? A hundred thousand people were online live watching the keynote. I think more than that. Well, Lotusphere would have had that many if they had the option to watch it. <laughs> but that is, that is the one thing that I really, I got to say, like, people have gazillions of, like, I've never had any that pro Apple products and, like, iPods or anything. People have, I go to people's homes to help them with their computers, and they just have gazillions of old iPods, like, each one, like, the next yep. generation down, and they have two different versions of iPhones, like older generations. And then you look at, you know, I go to these people's PCs, and they're still using the same laptops and, and desktops for seven years, and they're workhorses, and they're still going. It's just yeah, digital ca digital cameras and iPods. You but know, when I've we get a, an app store for Lotus, we'll have that too, right? An Apple phenomenon. It really does. I gotta say it. So, so here you are. You mentioned iPods, right? The iPod was a total success before the App Store came along. Yeah, but the reason why the iPod was a success because it had an App Store for music. Yeah, I Which, it was it was easy to get music before yeah, that. You no, had tons of MP3 players, but it wasn't easy to go buy music and just have it come to the device. That's why the right. So again, it was the store. Right, right. It was the technology behind the store that really made the provisioning of you know purchasing music and so well, forth. It was it was the store. It was the price point. You know, people go one ninety nine. That's no big deal. Yeah, and before they know it, obviously they got a huge bill. But yeah, but um, that's the thing. People were just like, oh, that's easy. Kids could use it. Whatever. All right. Who did we miss on the iPad? Miller, Chris, Chris. I'm not getting one. <laughs> not now. No, I'm just it's. 
between what you have now with the MacBook, between what you have in the iPod Touch, do you really need the expanded? They could have come out stronger with an OLED screen. They could have made it a killer device, added $100 to the cost, and made it a killer. But they came out with a giant 10-inch iPod. For people that do not have, forget early adopters, for people that do not have an iPod that want a device that will stream, do the EPUB format for eBooks, that will be able to get on Wi-Fi, that will be like you know the background whisper net, will be on their home Wi-Fi networks, it's a great device to have. If it's a first-time entry person, the, it's pretty comparable at $499 to what you would have for an all-inclusive media device. Forget a netbook, a media device. Now, if you want a computer that does processing, netbooks are still cheaper, and you can still buy you know, a 7- to 10-inch netbook for a cheaper price with more horsepower, but not the App Store, not the flexibility, not the pretty little UI they're trying to build into it. The first gen is going to have some issues, I think. They're missing some features people want. I'm not going to get it today, but I know that soon enough, uh, yeah, there's probably one sitting next to my couch eventually. Mm-hmm. So what about Flash, Chris? What about the whole thing with Apple yeah, saying whatever. no to Flash? No, they, they'll work something out. It'll come down the pipe. It just—it's not in their well, they, first run. I don't. They don't. Go. They don't want Flash on it because right. Flash can remove the App Store. Yep. Because you right. can then get apps from other people, and Apple won't get any money for that app. It's the whole, you know, if I give you too much capability, then I can't sell you my my goods that I already have. Mm-hmm. What What about this? Uh, this uh, this March going on about HTML5 and CS3, right? CSS3. You know, the fact that a lot Flash can be you know, done yeah. the same types of things with those technologies. And we heard it at Lotusphere too, right? HTML5 well, it, and CSS3. It depends, whether you, it depends whether you view HTML5 as just, you know, the ability to play videos. That's that's kind of why a lot of people are saying HTML5 is so that you can watch videos in your browser without having to install anything. And I think Flash gets used for much more than just uh, videos. Yeah, look at Flex, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up. It's been a long episode because we had uh, two, well, three special guests on today. Sean Burgess wasn't able to attend. He and his family are sick. I think uh, they have the Lotusphere crud. Uh, you guys catch the any crud this year from Lotusphere? <laughs> nope. I managed to kill it with alcohol in Vegas. Yeah, afterwards. I was thinking the same kind of thing that uh, I think it all got killed for a few of us uh, the few days after Lotusphere. Chris, weren't you like the, you were like the, the shep- I was the shepherd. The shepherd. And they were a herd of cats. <laughs> it, was, it was the worst, the worst uh, herd you've ever seen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch that. Who was the UI designer? Uh, UI designer. I was only in charge of testing. I don't so know. Uh, Tom's alluding to things that were happening on Twitter about um, next topic. Next topic. Okay, next topic. <laughs> All right. So uh, we usually ask people about a, a takeaway, right? Something that's on their mind. A technology. Obviously, Jess has made millions of dollars selling Roombas, right? You know, I should. And the, the, I had more people come up to be at Lotusphere telling me that they got Roombas because I mentioned it on the podcast. I totally should have told everybody to buy it from my Amazon store. So our ten listeners that- came up to you. <laughs> Yep. All right. So, so Jess, besides, I mean, you've come up with. I didn't know my mom was at Lotusphere. (laughs) Jess has come up with the Roomba. She's come up with which side of the car is your gas tank thing on. So lay it on us, uh, Jess. All right. Well, I have, I have a solution, and it's actually, it's actually a very low tech solution this week, but it's very useful. Okay. So here's your, here's your problem that I'm solving this month on the 1352 report. Okay. So. There's always in your fridge, you have a lot of leftovers, right? And they're under tinfoil, they're in pots and pans, and you have no idea what's in your fridge. So what we did was we have an 8x10 um, whiteboard, magnetic whiteboard that we just stuck to the fridge. And so whenever you put leftovers in there, you just write what it is on the whiteboard. And then as soon as it's done and it's gone, it's just a simple, you know, you smudge it away and it's gone. And you always know what you have in your fridge. Okay, Jess, Chris does it a totally different way. Chris has RFID chips on each of his plates. Right, I just scan everything that goes in and out. It's so much faster that way. <laughs> you learned and how you to do that at Lotusphere. You yeah. have a Lotus Notes database that contains everything, he, right? He, he has bought it in an app store. There's an app he store. has barcodes on it, and he takes the barcodes with the camera on his iPhone. <laughs> and he and finds I keep that it all. To take a photo, then to open up the tinfoil and go, oh, it's spaghetti. And all the yeah. design specs are in a wiki on social text. Oh, oh well, maybe we'll take an iPad Everyone and put that in some back of it and stick it to our fridge and do it that way. All right, Alan, how about you? Uh, this is what, my takeaway to the audience? Yeah, uh, lay, lay some something on them, whether it has to do with leftovers, technology, dating. 
Oh, let's have a segment on Alan's dating life. That'll that'll be a whole follow up. Oh call. yeah, I could add some stuff to that for Alan. <laughs> uh, we'll leave all of the listeners with the vision of Carl and I sharing a hotel room in Las Vegas. Enough said. All right, <laughs> Carl, how about you? How about those jets? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, I haven't got any little tidbit like that, but um, you can't expect a blog post in the next day or two. Uh, on some work we did, and the customers actually let us publish it, which is how to add Microsoft OCS awareness to Lotus Connections and WebSphere Portal. Okay. As if somebody would be running both things at once. Oh, my goodness, the world is going to collapse. Tom, how about you? Lay a, lay a book on us. Oh, lay a book on us. I've been trying to think of what I was going to add in there, but... Um... It'll be interesting, or okay, actually one of the books that is coming out that's being reviewed by half the um, half the blogsphere, I think, is the Upgrade Guide to Notes Domino 581. And it's interesting because when the first few reviews came out, it's like, oh, this book's really good, this book's really good, it, you know, talks about Domino, and you're now seeing kind of a, a backlash on the reviews coming through going, you know, this book isn't all it's cracked up to be, and I'm very interested to get my hands on it, hopefully within the next couple of days, and do a review to uh, get an idea as to what's okay. going on there. Okay. Tom, do you, get, do you get swayed by what other people have reviewed before you read a book? Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. Uh, you know, you, you look at this and you think, well, if everybody else loved it, then, you know, Hmm, gee, I'm, I'm predisposed to like it, let's say. <clears throat> but there have been times where I've read a book, and not necessarily in the technical realm, but um, maybe in some sci-fi and things like that where everybody's going on about, oh, this book is just so wonderful, this is a classic, and I'm going, boy, I must have been reading a different edition because <laughs> I just, I didn't get it. And I've, I've gone against some of those on my Amazon reviews and gotten shredded for it, but, you know? Tom, you are a book machine, okay? Actually, my, my output's gone down dramatically last year, and it's going down even more dramatically this year. Maybe because I'm writing a book for once. Your output, okay. Your book output. My book output. Okay. The piles that I've got to be read here still keep growing. That's the problem. Hold on. I'm speed dialing somebody here. Oh, I see. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> she's, she's washing yellow laundry. Let's see if okay. we can get her on. No. You're a no-go. Really? You think so? I think she'll pick up. Oh, well. I tried. I don't know how to, I don't know how to hang up on her. You just hang up on her. Hold on. Let me find her name. Right-click and hang up. And there's a little... She's not in my list. Okay. Well, Alan, I actually do have that Brooklyn on Technology book to read one of these days. Oh, great. Well, all right, that's Jeez. enough ringing. <laughs> I, I'm trying to stop the ringing. You well, should click on her name and just take it off there with the little uh, drop-down thing. You think I don't have her in my list. That's the problem. How'd can you we, dial her then? Can we stop it? Um, <laughs> no, I can't. Well, you know what? It. Nobody else can hear it ringing, Bruce, so it doesn't really matter. Okay. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the 1352 Report. If you do hear ringing, it's, uh, it's, it really is ringing. If you don't hear ringing, it's just in our ears and not yours. <laughs> <laughs> so, th Alan, thanks for joining us. No problem. Look forward to the next one. And uh, Chris Miller? Whenever I'm invited again, sir. Yeah, when you get the App Store done. And Jess Stratton from? Rhode Island. Right on. And Carl Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, stop ringing. Because hey. she didn't answer, or she's there. No, I'm so. answering. I'm trying. Hello, can you hear me, guys? Mary. Wow. Hey. Hey. hey, Mary Beth Raven, welcome to the 1352 Report. Woo, I this am is the so appendix. Happy. This is like my first 1352 Report, and I'm trying to, like, can you hear me okay? Because I'm not using any special headphone, yada, yada, anything. She was watching Lost. Yeah, uh, actually, were you doing... I'm I'm complete lost, anti-losty person. Mary Beth, can I'm, you give I'm us some? You, Mary Beth, can you give us some advice on washing yellow clothes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just plugged in my way cool some kind of what did I plug in? Poly, no, my Plantronic speakerphone 
IP phone thing. Is this better? Much better. Yeah. 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 You hear me now? So, so Mary Beth, what's coming in Project Vulcan? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hour oh, two of the 13th. <laughs> tell tell us about note shelves. I can tell you what's coming in Project Vulcan, but if I do, I'll lose my job and I'll have to kill you. Tell uh, us the day before you lose your job. <laughs> well, Mary Beth, thanks for uh, joining us at the end of the 1352 report here. <laughs> Uh, we'll get you on a 1352 report. This was uh, Alan Leposky's maiden voyage on the show. So, Hi, Alan. I, hey, Mary Beth. They, and I, I survived relatively unscathed. All right. I, they're kind of tough on you Canadians. We, we yeah. said we'd be gentle with him. They have okay. to remember, a Canadian's now in charge, so they've got to be careful. <laughs> so, Mary Beth, send us out with some uh, Lotus notes or Lotus goodness that you have to, to, uh, to let us all know. Well, since you did joke about Project Vulcan, Project Vulcan's a vision, right? We don't have any specific products or dates, but, you know, keep looking for it. We're working on it. I will be probably blogging about some stuff, whether or not it's like tagged with Project, you know, Project Vulcan or whatever um, might not be that important. But the important things are that from a user interface perspective or user experience perspective, we're looking at things like aggregating information, letting you like quickly act on that info in the aggregated sense so that you don't have to go back to the original app, right? And then we're some of the really fun stuff that I'm really interested in is applying some smart analytics, whether it's social analytics, like who's in your social network, or whether it's text analytics or whatever. Um, that is really exciting, and you're going to probably see a lot more of that. And if you continue to follow the various blogs, particularly mine, of course, ah, all my blogs, I'll be asking a lot more about, you know, questions about what you need, what you want, et cetera, and we'll be doing a lot more design and iteration on all that kind of stuff. So I personally think this is a really, really exciting time. All right. Well, we did talk a little bit about Project Vulcan in the beginning, so you could take what we all said at the beginning, uh, ignore the stuff in the middle, and then listen to what Mary Beth just said and draw your own conclusions. So that's it. That's it. That's a wrap for this episode of the 1352 Report. Thanks for listening, and Jess, uh, Jess, uh, go eat your leftovers. (laughs) Now that I know what's there. All right. Take care, everybody. A group goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye. Bye.